Welcome to Grace Story Podcast. We're here to connect you with education, resources, and community that equip you for the journey of restoration. My name's Nate Davison, and I am your host here at Grace Story Podcast. Thank you for joining us once again. We are so glad you're here for this episode where we're going to hear from Sheena Tothero. Uh Now, she is going to talk to us a little bit uh, about her story and tell us more about this topic of how her life is like a cicada. But before we get to that, i got a couple things for you. One is conference, Grace Story Conference, is coming up quickly. And if you want to get your registration squared away and you want to save some money on it, I've got a code for you. If you go over to GraceStoryMinistries.com and you type in PODCAST25, uh, that'll save you 25% off of the admission price. So make sure you use podcast 25 and uh, get some savings there and we'll see you at conference. Now, if you're looking for a way to be more involved with Grace Story Ministries and specifically with the conference, there are a few volunteer positions uh, that are open and that we need some people for. Um, so if you have any interest in uh, giving back, being more a part of the conference in a volunteer capacity, uh, you could send me an email, nate at gracestoryministries.com, or you can send Amber an email as well, amber at gracestoryministries.com, and uh, those positions positions that are available. We'll see where we can plug you in. Now, Sheena Tothero, she's our guest for today. She was recently featured in a uh, news story out of the Alabama News Center um, on people of Alabama. Um, they're talking in there about how Sheena Tothero finds beauty and inspiration in the cicada and kind of how that mirrors her own story. Such an interesting concept. Uh, I know you're not going to want to miss it. So let's go to that story right now. Sheena, welcome to Grace Story Podcast. I'm happy to have you on this episode. Really excited to hear your story. I'm glad to have you here. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. And, you know, we have some questions for you. We want to hear your story, but just trying to get to know you a little better. A question I do have for you that is not necessarily related to your story, but what would you do if you had enough money for the rest of your life and you didn't have to work? What would life look like for you? A hobby? Uh, I know you hike. Uh, what would you do? Yeah, I think I would like to travel and, um, of course, be with my family and if I could do anything, I would probably, I mean, I would love to be a missionary, of course, and just get to travel and meet people and love on people. I love that. And, you know, sometimes it's just taking away some of those constraints and those obstacles that helps us do what we want. And you've had a lot of challenges and obstacles in your life that God has helped you overcome. Um, I know recently you were featured in a news story in Alabama kind of sharing a different perspective um, around the cicada phenomenon. So the, the saying that you found beauty and inspiration in the cicada, what what did you mean by that? And, and what was your experience like being interviewed for the news story around that? Well, I've always, since a child, I've always loved nature. And um, I've always played outside, you know, under trees. And I used to hunt the cicada shells. Um, and then as I grew up, like, I don't know, I, th I think I was 30 before I realized that um, there was a bug, an actual bug with wings that crawled out of those shells. And it was just funny that I never knew that as a little kid. 
And it was amazing to me. I was like, oh my gosh, these bugs are out flying around, you know. I just started researching the actual bug itself. And I was just interested in how it, um, its life was, you know, they, they live under the ground, under the trees, drinking the sap for years. And then they crawl out and break forth out of this shell. And, um, and then they fly and they sing really loud. And it was kind of like a transformation story to me. And it was just beautiful because of what I had been through um, in my life. I felt like I had been like hidden underground, you know, hiding, actually in hiding. And then, um, you know, I broke out of that mold and I, I laid aside my old self and I was able to find my wings and fly and be free. So that's why I love the cicada story so much. Yeah. And uh, that's awesome. Cause right now, you know, everybody's thinking about cicadas and they have them all over their porch, uh, in some parts of the Midwest and people usually don't find inspiration and beauty in, in a bug and especially <laughs> the, the shell they leave behind. But I want to dig deeper on, on the correlation you made there with your personal testimony. It's, um, you're, you're a Christ follower now, but it, it hasn't always been that way. What is, what does the story look like for Sheena before Christ? As a child, I had a great family. I still do. My parents are still married. My grandparents are still married. That My, my grandmother read me the Bible every day almost. Um, so I really had a good upbringing. And then um, in my 11th grade year, my best friend died. And um, it was a car accident. And after that, like, I don't know if it it was just part of the grieving experience, but I, everything was dark. You know, I started painting my nails black. I dyed my hair black. I cut myself. I, everything was just so emotional, you know, and, and dark. And I just completely, you know, from being in my youth group and, and, doing all the right things, living the right kind of life. I was a cheerleader. All of that changed. And now I was this drama queen, you know, that had issues. And um, that's kind of where it all started. Me pulling away from from God. And I feel like I knew him before, but I pulled away. So um, I was a cross follower, you know, early on. And then I I decided to turn my back on God. So it just kept getting darker and darker. I got pulled into more and more drugs. I started smoking pot and then that became doing other drugs, opiates and snorting things and, you know, really going deep into drug addiction and um, having different boyfriends and just living that lifestyle, that partying lifestyle. I moved away from home and I just, it was in the dark. It was darkness. And I did not see what I was doing to myself. I didn't see what I was doing to my family. And I knew, and I know looking back now that I had so many people praying for me. Otherwise I, I could have, I could have died, you know, I'm so grateful for my family and for people that really, even people that weren't my family and people that I knew were praying for me. And looking back, it's so amazing 
I know that that's what got me out of it. And I was very lucky. Well, and let, let's go there because, you know, it sounds like it starts with just overwhelming pain, loss, yeah. grief. Um, and then that just spiraled down into the darkness as you're trying to uh, cope with this somehow. But it sounds like there's some hope in there, too, with people reaching out to you. Can you can you tell me about an instance, a moment when a person's kindness or understanding made a difference in your life? Well, the main one that pops out the most was um, I was living on 280. I was cutting hair. That was my job. And I was partying and just, you know, but I was keeping it. I was paying bills and stuff. I was keeping it kind of straight at the time. Um, but then I got into uh, I had a boyfriend. We broke up. And then I got into doing drugs again. So I cleaned up a little bit for a little while and then I got back into it. But um, the lady that owned the supercuts that I worked at, she, I guess people told her what I was going through. Maybe she could just see it. I don't know. And she came to me and said, if you don't go get some help, then I'm going to have to fire you. And I don't want to do that. I want you to get help. I'll, you know, and she, that to me is what made me change. Like her, her opinion, her, her care changed me. Like she saw that I needed help and that made me feel like helping myself, I guess. With addiction like that. Um, it's interesting. You, you talk about having a job and doing, all, I think some people, when they think about addiction or drugs, they, they like to imagine somebody that's on the street or, you know, somebody that, that looks helpless, but increasingly, in, in my experience as a nurse, I mean, it's just normal people with an addiction, people working jobs, yeah. people living lives, they have family relationships, but underneath it all, they have a struggle with that and and someone reaching in, how meaningful was that uh, to have them just reach in and say something and notice you struggling? Yeah, it was like a hand. You know, I was on the ground. I'd fallen and some hand was there to pick me up. And that's that's what started it all for me um, going down that that terrible road. I, I if Looking back now, I'm like, man, I was really going down a bad road at that time. So it that really meant a lot. And I moved back home. I went to a detox and um, I started going to church that next week after all the medicine from the detox place, you know, wore off and I felt better. I went back to my home church and all those people I grew up with, it was just like being back at home. It was fresh and new and it just felt so good to, to be back in the light. And a lot of people, you know, they weren't judgmental. They were loving on me and it just felt good. Shortly after that, I met my husband at the church and we ended up getting married. And then a whole new set of struggles came in. <laughs> but um, and it wasn't over. The, the addiction thing wasn't over then. I became pregnant and. I don't know. It was just, it was a really hard time. I was on, I was on Adderall. I took Adderall for a long time and it was kind of similar to the drugs that I had used to, you know, been, been taken. But of course, you know, it's legal and I was being prescribed it. And so kind of made me feel like I wasn't doing wrong for a little while. 
And then it got to the point where um, I was wasting a lot of money on this medicine and a lot of time. And I started losing a lot of weight and um, started fighting with my husband even more. And um, I'm so thankful for him now. You know, if it wasn't for him putting his foot down and fighting with me about that, I probably would have kept doing it. But that was another time where I felt like a hand just picked me back up. You know, sometimes that struggle when you fight for someone that helps them to get tired of that, that they're doing and want out. Like I was so tired of fighting that I was like, okay, fine. And I don't want to, you know, I just threw it down. And um, that was the that was the last time I ever had a struggle with with drugs. That was the very last time. But it was really hard. Like I tried to throw away the Adderall many times and um, I would dig it back out of the trash can. I prayed. I really was struggling like I wanted to stop. But something inside me. Thought that I needed that to to be good enough. Well, it sounds like you're looking for for support from somewhere or or a way to I don't know if cope is the right word, but uh, and and the convenience of medication, of course, is right there. But yeah. I hear over and over in your story just in the past 10 minutes or so is a, a an intervention of sorts, but a support system from a relationship. Um, yeah, that, that happens. Do you have support systems like that continuing in your life? Do you do you contribute uh, su- uh, your success in overcoming addiction to support systems like that? I would think so. I mean, I love my church. I'm very involved in my church and I have friends in my church that I feel like I finally have that support that I that I need. But for a long time, I didn't. Well, and it can be easy to 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 walk that journey. Um, but with that, there's also the outside stressors of, you know, stigma and what people think. And you know, everybody seems to have an opinion these days. What's it like working through and have you experienced any stigma around your past and how does that affect your future? I want to say that I don't really care what people say about me. Um, because I'm sure there's been people say all kinds of things about me. But I don't even care because I know that I'm free and that God took me from that and I'm whole now. And I don't he doesn't remember my past. So I don't care if anybody else says anything because the past is the past. So I don't feel like that will affect me in my future. But I do I do appreciate the things that I went through because I feel like I can help others that are having a hard time now. Um, but I'm not embarrassed. You know, I'm not embarrassed about what I went through because I know that God can use it for my good and others. You, you know, that's a very biblical view of what our past should be viewed as. I mean, sure, there's some other things that it, yeah, it, it can weigh us down. But when we think about it as nothing is wasted and God restores us, yeah, it can be everything can be used. I mean, I love how you put that. And I want to I want to help you go a little bit further on that in a way by asking you a question. What is the most important lesson that you've learned in, in your life journey so far? I guess just to believe believe that he's here with me and never going to leave me, and that he's, I guess, not to be afraid, and also to think the best because 
when you when you have faith that God's with you and he's working all things for your good, then you're not going to worry. You're not going to stress and you're going to think positive, thinking on the good things that that he's done and is doing. So just believe in him, I guess, is the biggest thing. Um, when I lost my best friend, I felt like I was all alone. And I think that was, you know, a really scary place to be. And knowing that I'll never be alone. Um, and, you know, I've learned that even when I was in a crack house or, you know, even when I was in the darkest time of my life, God was there with me. Looking back, I can see that. And so now looking forward, I know he's never going to leave me. So I'm not worried. Well, it sounds like there's been some action items in your life. One, finding support systems. Uh, two, I, I see you saying recognizing God's role in your life and, and who you are to him and in him. Are, are there any other action items or, or things that you you go to or have done to to move forward in your restoration journey? I know that teaching, like I've learned more by teaching others and just my testimony, talking to others, being available for others. That, I guess, would be a way that I've grown the most is just um, like what I'm doing right now. Um, I've always been really shy and I'm not one to get in front of a lot of people and talk. Um, but it's really helped me to to open up and to share things I've been through. And um, I don't know, just being available for people. That's been a really huge way that I've grown. And I feel like that's helped me a lot. And in, in sharing your, your story, is that something where uh, people come to you? Or do you, do you see p- people in situations like you were in or are in? And you feel compelled to speak to them or how do you find opportunities to share your story? It's just been God. God has completely set me up. (laughs) I'm like, thanks, God. You know, that's uh, because I wouldn't normally just start talking to somebody. Um, When I was I was at Montevallo selling jewelry and this lady comes up and buy something and then she she leaves and then comes back and it's that lady that interviewed for people of Alabama and she just interviews me right then and there and it's kind of crazy because when I first started doing the jewelry I want I wanted it to be called a ring and a robe because I was making rings and I was crocheting uh, prayer shawls and I was like just giving God glory for bringing me out I felt like the prodigal daughter who had, you know, ran away from home. And then when I came back, God just gave me all this love. You know, he just filled my life with people and with celebration. Like it was just a constant. I was full of joy. You know, I was happy and he gave me an artistic outlet that I never knew I had. Um, And it was just like he had given me you know, a ring and a rope. And so I wanted, um, because of the fact that I was on Adderall for so long and I had three small children, I could have, and I did other things too. I could have had my kids taken away from me. So I really had a big heart for mothers that were struggling 
with things because I felt like, you know, I had a friend that um, she was adopting. She she was doing um, foster care. And I had a heart for the mother of those children that she was going to adopt, you know, because that could have happened to me. And um, and I know how strong addiction can be. And those mothers love their their babies. And it's not that they don't love their babies. You know, it's just they're in the dark and they need help. And so that was really why I started the jewelry. And um, nothing had happened with that. I, I didn't feel like I had walked into that ministry yet. And so then when when God had set that up for the people of Alabama, I was like, well, here it is. Here's my chance to share, um, you know, part of my testimony. So it was really cool. And I was just like, I was just overwhelmed with with happiness that he had done that for me because I'm not naturally one to come up and start talking about my life. God gives opportunities for, for people that are willing. There's that old adage, God doesn't call the prepared. He prepares the called. So, uh, and as I'm listening to you talk about the addiction struggle, uh, which, uh, you know, if, if statistics are correct and, and they, they seem to be, um, you, you are not alone when it comes to a history of addiction in the United States. It's, it's a widespread problem that nobody seems to want to really talk about when it comes to close friends and relatives. But when I hear you talk about the, the, the strength of the addiction or, you know, understanding the pull of the addiction and, and, having empathy for mothers and people that are struggling with this and what what if if you could i don't know the top two or maybe the top myth about addiction if you could just to a audience that is listening to this with intention and an open heart what is a myth about addiction that you wish people knew was not true well i mean one of them is that they don't they don't love their children enough or you know that they that they only care about themselves. That's not true because I love my children. And even when I was doing all that, I still loved my children and I can't explain it. I I know that it's, it's the devil. It's darkness that the powers of the enemy that are in the air around us, like they completely put these people, they blind these people and it's not, it's not that they don't have love. That's that's really the main thing. And um, and it's not that they're just, you know, they lack discipline. You know, it's chains. They they step into this prison and they don't realize they're doing it until it's too late. And those chains have to be broken. I love the imagery of chains breaking because we know uh, that we have a God who is powerful enough to, to break chains and cause uh, uh, the captives to be set free. Um, and then we also know that, that increasingly uh, addiction is being uh, looked at more as a disease process because of how it affects the body. Um, so I, 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 I love the, the myths that you've addressed there, but let's look at the brighter side here. So you've come through this, uh, and I know we didn't dive deep into the particulars of your story, but, you know, understanding where you were, where you are now, um, uh, what does the future look like for, for Sheena? Um, well, I'm in an army and I am fighting daily and I feel like, um, 
my future is just to um to be like Jesus and to walk like Jesus did and to lift people up and to spread the word of God's goodness and that his love for us is bigger than any of our fears daily I homeschool my children and so daily I'm addressing heart matters that you know I want to my future is to raise these children to be arrows that will go out and to love others and to accept people mean people love mean people you know like we're loving each other in this home right now and we're being mean constantly to each other but we're still loving each other like don't give up on people that to me that's i can't see any farther than that right now um i'm kind of in the trenches of parenthood so i don't know what my future is going to be but i do know that i will be loving people even when with their imperfections so and i want to go a different direction because i I love that because it's it opens the world of possibilities for the future but with an impact on the next generation right now uh, but I want to give you you an opportunity to kind of think back. You're having an impact on people right now by speaking into their lives, but you know what it's like to be in those throes of addiction. Uh, if I am somebody listening, and I, I honest, if I, I think through my head, I don't know what that's like. I've never been uh, uh, friends with somebody who's who's had addiction issues, and I've never had addiction issues. Channeling that listener, um, what would you say to them as far as being able to reach someone who's in addiction or how should they treat someone or how should they love on someone who has an addiction problem? Don't look at the um, don't look at the outward appearance. Don't look at what their actions are or what they're wearing. Um, the words they're saying, if they're cursing, don't look at any of that. You see them how God sees them and love them. Laugh with them. Talk to them like you would anybody else that, you know, that is, you know, strong in their faith or whatever. You just don't even look at that part. I know um, I've been around people. And I know, I mean, they don't say they don't come out and say they're on anything, but I know they are. And you just have to love them anyways. Like, I feel like that's the best way. Um, I feel like that's what Jesus would do. Just conversate with them and love them anyways. Don't judge them. And then pray for them. Because when we pray for them, God's the only one. He breaks the chain. So I know that prayer is huge. And that's the that's our weapons. I guess that's what I would I would say, um, just don't be judgmental. And that that's easier said than done because we're naturally inclined to just be judgmental. But I want to I want to rewind just a little bit more with one more question for you. Yeah. Um, and I want to rewind all the way back to the beginning of Sheena's story, to to that that little girl in high school who was hurting um, and had lost a friend. And before the drugs came, before the darkness came, just before all the, the, the issues that would set you on a different course, uh, eventually ending in God's grace in your life. But back before all that, if you could talk to, to 11th grade Sheena and tell her anything and give her, I don't know if it'd be advice or encouragement or motivation, um, if you could talk to that person 
because there might be somebody listening who's right where you are. They've lost a friend. They've lost a family member, a parent, um, something important to them that could send them. And they're considering the same trajectory of picking up a bottle or a needle or a spoon, whatever it might be. If you could talk to Sheena back then, what would you say? It's so hard because as you age, you really do find God more and you, you know him more. But at that time, I didn't know him the way I do now. And if I could tell myself then that he's your best friend, he's right here with you, you know, you're not alone. I think if I could have understood that, comprehended it more then, that's what I would have wanted my 11th grade Sheena to know is that how real God is and that he's right here, right here. Um, and I didn't, he, it just, he seemed so far away, you know, at that time. And I felt so alone at that time that I think that would be the main thing um, that would have helped me not search for something to feel that. Just knowing that, you know, he is your best friend and he'll never leave you. He, he's your support. <laughs> and and, and uh, it's in the darkness, in those moments where you're reaching up to touch rock bottom, uh, you, you, you can't comprehend it because it's suffocating. And yeah. it's, it's, it's something that you can't do alone. Um, so... Um, I, I admire your bravery in sharing your story. I admire your bravery in being willing to uh, look back into those dark moments and, and kind of consider what, uh, what you were feeling then and try to try to look at what you would tell yourself now, um, from here. But, um, most of all, thank you for, for being vulnerable and sharing your story. I I know it's going to help some people. Um, and thanks for coming on great story podcast today. Well, thank you. I really am so grateful because I know that God is using this in my own life still like to, you know, people go to therapy and it it really does help to talk. It helps to be asked hard questions. And so I really appreciate you asking me these questions and giving me the opportunity. I love it. And uh, thanks again for coming on. Thank you. Wow. It is never easy to share, um, well, to share our stories for one, but to, uh, go dig back into, uh, a, a place where you were at your lowest, where, where darkness was all around and try to articulate that for people who may or may not understand. Um, I'm very grateful for, for Sheena coming on great story podcast and sharing her story, um, and turning it into a story of hope. Uh, for others who may be battling those same uh, types of issues. We'll be back in two weeks with another guest. It's Rachel Henry. Some of you may remember her from conference, uh, but for those of you that weren't there, you're not going to want to miss this episode. Uh, She's going to share her story. uh, In 2014, uh, three men broke into her home on a night when her husband was gone, robbed uh, them of their belongings, and then also raped Rachel. Um, Over the last several years, they've been 
on a journey of healing and hope. And she shared her story at conference, but she's going to be on the podcast sharing her, uh, her story here. Uh, so I know you're not going to want to miss it. Now, if you've enjoyed this episode, if you've gotten something out of it, um, I hope that you'll share it on social media, uh, leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcast uh, and help support the podcast in that way. Like I said, we'll be back in two weeks. Until then, uh, I hope you'll continue on your journey of restoration and we'll be praying for you. See you then.